It's good to see everyone. Happy New Year to you if I haven't seen you already. Pray that this year is blessed and highly flavored by the Lord himself. Um, it's that time of year when um, we're thinking about freshness, newness, and um, some of us are thinking about how we can be the best version of ourselves. And that's not a bad thing. Because if we're not changing, if we're not growing, the question is, are we truly alive? And so we were built, we were made to embrace change and grow and progress. There are very few people anywhere that would suggest that they don't want better for themselves. And so it's hardwired into us that we would want more, that we would want better, whatever that looks like for us. And at this time of year, um, we, we see the, the memes and the gifts and so on of all of the kind of intentions, resolutions, and all the kind of purposing that people actually give themselves to in terms of how they want to see change in their life. New diets, maybe a new course of learning or driving lessons. Maybe it's saving and investing or spending less, reading more, or even going to church. All the many ways in which we may be wrestling with ourselves and our need for change because that need as it prolongs and as it goes on in our lives, can tend to bring us down. The lack of change in our life can sometimes call us to feel depressed or even guilty. We see how the issues in our lives can be a problem for us in our jobs, can be a problem for us in our families, can just be a problem for us in terms of our health. It's no secret that at this time of the year, there are more gym memberships held now than ever before. They say that one in seven people in the UK have a gym membership. And 67% of them go unused. That's a true statistic. But it's a, a reflection of our desire to see change, our desire to see improvement. And the reality is that there are some things that need to change because we have done them to death. We have given ourselves to certain lifestyle choices where, despite all of the hype and all the glorified expectations, despite the fact that they were once thrilling and exciting, they get to that point where they prove to be unfulfilling. A waste of time, a waste of money, a waste of effort, and a waste of our well-being. And we want more, and we want better. But in order to get there, we realize that we've got to get our house in order. We've got to do some soul searching. We've got to do some housekeeping in our hearts. In fact, 
For many of us, we get to this point of the year when we feel as though we would do so much better that it would even please God. And so I've got good news and bad news for you today. Which do you want first? Because you're going to get them both. Bad news, yeah? It's always best. Bad news first. What's the bad news? In all your best efforts, in all your best efforts, you will not experience a new you. Now, we just got to be upfront, right? In all your best efforts, you will not experience a new you. I remember um, I, used, I grew up on an estate in Clapham. And I remember uh, a friend of mine, I won't mention his name, um, we just used to knock about on the estate, grew up from childhood, used to play football over Batsy together, and went off to secondary schools, different schools, and, but still lived on the estate, still kept in touch. And I remember as we were growing up on the estate together, progressively he would get into one thing or another, and it was always a kind of like this sense of new start. I'm doing something new with my life. I'm, I, I'm not, you know... Involved with raving and all that again. No, I'm going to get into business. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And that's going to be the new... And he, he did. He became an entrepreneur. And he became a good one. This guy, I mean, I felt like there was nothing that he couldn't do. That's the way I used to look at him. He was the same age as me. Um, really big guy, big stature, commanding presence. And he always just seemed to used to land on his feet. And anything he put, he, he, he was into raving and he was promoting raves as a teenager and he was doing well and he's making money and he was just like, nah, done with that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into business. And I ended up working for him in a shop that he opened. Now, I had to leave because there was illegal stuff going on and <laughs> <laughs> it conflicted with my faith. And that, like, when I went there, I was just like, you know, I'm not involved in this. No, 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 we don't do that. Him and his partner, his business partner, no, 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 we're not involved in that. Da, 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 da. And then two twos, the shop's under surveillance by the flying squad. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. Bro, I thought that we were like, no, I can't have any part of this. But he always done well. I mean, I don't know where he is now or what he's doing. He's probably into property or something. But every new venture, every new thing was an attempt at just reinventing himself. And I remember saying to him, you know what? It doesn't matter how many times you try and reinvent yourself. You're always going to come back to the same place. Wherever you go, you're always there. And if you change everything around you, you've still got to deal with yourself. So we can relate to the reality that despite all of our best efforts, we're not going to result in being a new person. But the good news, hi, the good news, as we sang this morning, Jesus makes all things new. Jesus makes all things new. And that can include anybody, any person.
We've been going through the book of Galatians, as Bertram and Pastor Rob mentioned. And we see in the book of Galatians a people who, Galatia was a place in, in around Turkey, and the Apostle Paul wrote to them because these people were in a place where they were trying something different. They wanted to try something new. And the Apostle Paul had to write to them to tell them to check their self. Because in their efforts to pursue newness, they were putting away some good things and taking on some bad things. And in our efforts to pursue newness, we can find ourselves in a similar place. It's a good thing to take driving lessons. It's a good thing to go to the gym. It's a good thing to change things in our lives. But if we find ourselves like these people in Galatia, where actually we want to do away with certain things that are true and right, and for them, it was the gospel. They were in a place where, actually, they had grown tired. They had grown disillusioned, maybe. They had grown weary of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, had been persuaded and influenced to go back to a bad former relationship. Paul said this in Galatians 1.6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So you were dead in your sins and you hear the message of Jesus Christ who has made you alive and now you want to leave Christ and start a new relationship? It's a bit like Usher. I remember this song. I don't know why it was about this song that really kind of, it, it used to, I used to love this song. You make me want to leave the one I'm with. Start a new relationship with you. That's what you did. Yeah. You can see I can, I've sung it a lot of times, right? And that's where they were at. They wanted to start a new relationship, but they wanted to start a new relationship with one who was going to be abusive. One who was going to be controlling. One who was going to enslave them. I mean, it's like leaving a healthy marriage and getting into a relationship with a sex trafficker. That's going to pimp you out and abuse you and use you and control you. And, and this was them wanting to stop trusting in Jesus and start trusting in their ability to fulfill the law and do good works. Now, there were, there were individuals who had been influencing them to this end. 5.7 says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Free, one to free. You foolish Galatians, like, are you, are, you, are you mad? 
you can hear Paul, are, are you mad? Who has bewitched you? Who's deceived you? Paul's saying, don't get it twisted. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so this was a real issue. They were wanting to forsake the healthy life-given relationship with Jesus because of the undue influence of those who would convince them that they're better off without him. So often we can, in our desire and our pursuit for more, be looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for satisfaction in all the wrong sources. And yet, Jesus makes all things new. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the reality and the truth of your word. And even though we are separated from the time of its writing by a couple thousand years, yet, Lord, it still resonates and rings true to us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would encourage our hearts to trust in Jesus and to walk in your spirit and experience newness, experience newness by your hand, Lord. Not of our own efforts and our own endeavors, but by your hand. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do that for us today, Lord according to your glory, according to your will, according to your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we've been going through Galatians and as I've been thinking about where we're at as a church, and generally what, what people tend to look for in society, I've been meditating there are several references to the person of the Holy Spirit in Galatians and I just realized you guys can't see all of the words on that side aren't it? Of the, uh, maybe we could do something about that but I've been meditating on the person of the Holy Spirit and the promise that was given as to who he is and what he would mean to us and, and, and his role in the lives of those who would receive him, having received Jesus. You see, we don't have the strength in ourselves to do what is necessary 
We don't have the strength in ourselves to do what is right. We don't have the strength in ourselves to even satisfy ourselves, let, let alone impress others on an ongoing basis. And that is why we needed to be freed from slavery to the law. Because the law didn't give anyone the strength to fulfill it. It's a bit like saying to a child, don't do something. What's the next thing you expect them to do? And so by merely telling them, don't do this. In many ways, that's not really helping them, but it's inspiring them. Because in their minds, they're thinking, why not? Well, let me try and find out and see why not. And then I'll maybe decide for myself whether or not I want to follow that instruction. And that inclination to do wrong is inside all of us. And it's called sin. We don't need to teach children to lie, right? Judith showed me a video. I'm calling Judith's name. I'm blaming her. Judith showed me a video of this little girl. And she's sitting down being questioned by her mom. Where's, where's all the is it biscuits? Where's, where's all the Mr. Kipling's cakes? Where's Mr. Kipling's cakes gone? Lord of mercy. Someone broke in and took them. Yeah, it was a, it was a joke. Trust. Someone, oh, he broke in and he took all of Mr. Kipling's cakes, did he? Yeah. And it was a black man. <laughs> Tried to add weight to the lie. Lord of mercy. But this child couldn't have been more than three or four. Where did the inspiration come from? I'm sure that she didn't get that inspiration watching Tweenies or Teletubbies or whatever the programs is that the, the little ones. We all have that inclination. And the reality is that we need help. We need help. We have that inclination to do wrong. Now, often wrong is disguised in our minds as suiting ourselves. This will be good for me. This will be right for me. This will put me ahead. This will satisfy me. This will benefit me. They say that the the, the seat of sin is self. Bertram mentioned it as leading communion. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They had the whole garden, all of the trees, all of the other fruit. It was just one fruit. The Lord said, this one fruit, just one fruit. They had the whole creation at their disposal. This one fruit. One. They couldn't have just, cool, all right, look, let's go. We got mangoes, bananas, pineapples. We got, we got all this fruit, everything, pomegranates, like every kind of fruit from the one fruit. Lord said, don't take it. But they looked at it and they saw it looked good. And it, and it, had, it had powers. It had value. For them, to benefit them. It was able to make them wise. Oh, this is, it, I mean, I mean, it's so beautiful. My gosh. I mean, it's not like the rest of the fruits. 
helps them. And it's, it's going to, you know, if we eat this fruit, you know, it's going to benefit our life. It's going to bless us. Hmm. And so they took the fruit and ate it. One fruit. The reality is that we are inclined. If any one of us were in the same position, we would have done the same thing. And I don't even have to take a survey or know each one of you and your, the details of all of your text messages and everything to know who you are and what you're like. The reality is that we are self-seeking by nature. The arguments and the conflicts we get into, the offenses that we cause and, are co and cause us offense, all of these things come down to us being self-seeking. We need help. And this is so beautiful because not only did God promise to free us from the curse, being under the law was a curse. Being under the law, I mean, imagine you're given a task at work that you can never complete. And your boss is going to hold you accountable to fulfill that task, even though you cannot do it. You know it, they know it, and yet you are obligated to fulfill this task. Does that sound like a good job? Does that sound like a job that you're going to want to continue doing from day to day, week to week, month to month? At some point, you're going to have enough and feel like, this is a burden. This is a madness. I'm going to hand in my resignation and find somewhere with more realistic expectations. Galatians tells us that the law was given and nobody could keep it. But the purpose of the law was to serve as a, as a, as a schoolmaster, as a teacher, teaching us the lesson that we need help, teaching us the lesson that we cannot do it ourselves in order that we would reach out to Jesus and say, help me. And why would we ask Jesus? We would ask Jesus because he's the only one who's fulfilled it. He's the only one who's kept the whole law all the time. It's not that Jesus had good days and bad days like us all. Jesus only ever had good days. Can you imagine what that must be like? To have a life where you only ever have good days. That is someone worthy of worship, amen? I don't know about you, you know, but that excites me. Jesus never had a bad day. You're like, oh, well, Pastor E, what about when he was crucified? He was nailed to the cross. He was whipped. He was stabbed. You see, Jesus knew the purpose of the Father. He knew that there was a purpose in his suffering. There was something greater to come from it. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You know what the joy was that was set before him? You and you and you and me. You see, the promise of the Father in Psalms 2 was, ask of me and I will give the nations as an inheritance for you. And Jesus knew that through his death and through his suffering, he would bring all of us who believe into relationship with the Father and into freedom from the curse and the slavery under the law. 
And so it's not just that Jesus, he himself became a curse for us. Having lived a sinless, perfect life, he was tortured and sent to death as the worst criminal. He was nailed to the cross, capital punishment, public execution. And as quoted from the Old Testament, the Jewish scripture said, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You say, but Jesus wasn't hung on a tree, he was on a cross. What a cross is made out of? Trees, isn't it? That quote was prophetic. It was predictive. It was given hundreds of years even before the Persians invented crucifixion. The Romans didn't even invent crucifixion. The Persians did. It was that Genghis Khan and them, man. The Romans perfected crucifixion to make it the most painful, torturous death somebody could experience. And so Jesus was cursed. But there was a purpose. There was a reason. So that in Christ, in relationship, in union with, in partnership with Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. I heard a brother this week at Week of Prayer. Um, his name's John T. Alcock. If you ever see any kind of Bible teaching by him online or you see he's going to be anywhere, I definitely give the brother your time. He is a beast with the Bible. Am I lying, bro? Listen, I remember I see this brother teach a youth conference, a youth event, the book of Daniel. You know the book of Daniel, Old Testament prophecy with all kinds of mad symbols and everything. I thought, bro, that was an ambitious endeavor. You're going to try and teach a youth conference, the book of Daniel, in a day. Smashed it. He talked about being in Christ. And he said, you know what? Being in Christ is like putting sugar into a cup of tea. When you put sugar into a cup of tea, what happens? That sugar becomes part of that tea. And the tea becomes part of the sugar in such a way that it's inseparable. And what happens to the tea happens to the sugar. You get what I'm saying? I thought that was a lovely analogy of what it's like to be in Christ. That when we come into partnership, when we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Gentiles were non-Jewish people. Abraham is the father of the Jewish race, even before they were called Jews, just regarded as Hebrews. And God's promise to Abraham was, in you, all of the nations will be blessed. Ultimately, the promise was, through Abraham and his descendants, people from every nation would come into relationship with God and experience newness and real life. And then it goes on to say, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, I grew up 
in an environment where having grown up in church, um, the forming of my understanding of the Holy Spirit and his, his person and his work, him being the third person of the Trinity, not, and, and, and being a, a person and not merely a force or a power, it, it was very hazy growing up for me. There were many things that would go on in church as, and, and, and they were regarded as the Holy Spirit moving. Things that sometimes were quite startling or surprising, some things were quite scary. When you use the term, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, old translations use Holy Ghost. Some people have this kind of thought in mind. Ghost? Are you talking about ghosts and spirits? I mean, is this that paranormal activity type of talk that we're talking about? Well, there's no doubt that there is, in one sense, a clear indication that it's paranormal activity. But when we speak about the Holy Spirit as Christians, we're not just talking about strange and spooky happenings. Look at the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples who were following him just before he was crucified. This is in John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Now you're like, you know what Ephraim, that don't really kind of clear up this whole mystical business. And I'm glad it doesn't. Because for us as individuals, we have to appreciate that God is not like us. We are his creation. He is the creator. And we do not understand him. Even as much as we, we read the Bible that he has revealed himself through. But we're limited. You know they, the, the saying, um, you can't see the wood for the trees. I never understood what that meant until I was well into adulthood. You can't see the wood for the trees. So you're going out looking for wood to, to, to build a fire. And you're in the forest and all you see is trees, but you can't see any wood. But then there's wood all around you because the trees are wood. That's the idea. If God did not reveal himself to us and open the eyes of our understanding, we could never know him. And when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit... The truth is we just have to hold our hands up and say, he is a mystery. We know certain things about him. We know he is holy. 
We know the scripture tells us of his character. Jesus said, you know him. And they might have looked at him and thought, how do we know him? But they knew him because the Holy Spirit is one with Jesus, just as Jesus is one with the Father, and the Father is one with the Spirit. One, but not the same. Ouch. Um, can I ask you to do me a favor, House? Can you grab my charger out of my bag? Sorry. Sorry, guys. What we see revealed in the scripture, not explicitly, because the reality is that we couldn't even comprehend it all given to it, given to us at one time. But progressively throughout the scripture, we recognize that God is three persons, eternally existing, equal, and yet distinct. The Father is one with the Son, but is not the Son. The Son is one with the Spirit, but is not the Spirit. The Spirit is one with the Father, but is not the Father. And here, as Jesus says, you know him, he's able to say that confidently because he is the physical representation of the invisible spirit of God. They are totally one, complete in purpose, complete in intent, complete in character. Thank you. And so therefore, there's a confidence with which Jesus is able to say, you know him. How well do you know the Holy Spirit? How clearly do you see him in your life? To what extent are you sensitive to his voice? In what way do you experience interaction with him on a daily basis? Consciously. Now I say consciously with intention because the reality is that actually every single individual on the planet experiences interaction with the Holy Spirit, most often not conscious of it. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. He will reveal to people's hearts what's wrong. Like we, don't, we don't need any textbook. We don't need any sermons. In our hearts, we have a conscience. I'll talk more about this next week. We understand right from wrong. This is one of the fundamental weaknesses of those who profess to believe in evolution. If we all evolved and we're merely a, a, an accident as a result of a big bang, we're nothing more than higher graded animals, then where do we get this sense of right and wrong? Surely we just live survival of the fittest. Why would we complain about knife crime? Why would we complain about rape and robbery and so on and so forth? Because they're the stronger, fitter people exerting their animalistic power. Where do we get this sense that it's wrong? Oh, because it doesn't um, help to promote the fervence of the species, some would say. I've heard Richard Dawkins say that. As an individual who's got no money in my pocket, what do I care about the fervence of the species? 
I'm not going to be committed to a, co a moral code just because I want to see humans flourish at my expense. Are you mad? And that's how people live their lives. So why would we complain? You see, the reality is the presence of an absolute sense of right and wrong in our hearts suggests that there is one who placed that there. There is one who gives that equal sense of morality within all of us. And this is God at work by his spirit, convicting the world of sin. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will also convict the world of righteousness. So not only will he convict of what's wrong, but also what's right. How ought we to live? What ought we to do? What ought we to think and to believe? And yet he will also convict the world of judgment. Because knowing right and wrong, there is a day of reckoning. There's a day of accountability. And yet, when Jesus speaks to his followers, he's acknowledging that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life isn't just to catch us out. It's not just to prove us wrong and try and... But he is going to be present in those and, and this is a mystery that was hidden in the ancient scriptures, explicitly hidden in the scriptures that even those of old didn't really get their head around. That God would put his spirit in people. And why would he do that? He does that because... He is the supernatural helper who being present in the lives of those who have put their trust in Jesus, he helps us to live beyond ourselves, to live out those changes, to live out those desires and intentions to please God in ways that are truly pleasing to him. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Oh, the freedom to be liberated from performance-related acceptance. Oh, the freedom to even not just have to try and earn our acceptance, but to know that not only are we accepted, but we are empowered to overcome our very weaknesses that cause us to get down and to feel sick of ourselves. Sometimes we just do dumb stuff and we look at ourselves and think, you fool. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. And we, and we, and we sit down for a moment and we, and we just have disgust at our own self. Why would I even do that? 
And yet, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. You see, that freedom isn't, I can commit any sin that I want because I'm forgiven and it's all right. But it's the freedom not to have to sin. Anyone can sin without trying. But you try and live a week without committing one sin. I mean, do I even have to stretch it to a week? I can say a day. Without committing one sin. Now, you might say, look, I'm a pretty moral person. So I, I reckon I could get through a day without actually committing some kind of act of immorality. But when God judges sin, he's looking not just at the actions, but the attitudes. And the words and the thoughts behind those words. Even when we're doing the right things for the wrong reason, we just want to look good. We want to get credit. We want validation. We want a pat on the back. We want to big up ourselves. Remember, that's the heart of sin right there. And yet, the sun sets us free. And as he sets us free, as we read before, it is through the promised spirit who is received through faith. And time won't permit, but I would just say, look, as we go into 2019, and as we head into this new year, I believe 100% that there is a new experience for every single one of us to have in our relationship with God's Spirit. There is a new experience for us to have in our relationship with the Spirit of the Lord. Now we understand that the Holy Spirit is one with Christ and as Jesus said, he testifies or he speaks. He, he speaks the things that Jesus said. So there isn't anything in Scripture that the Holy Spirit doesn't represent properly. And anything outside of Scripture doesn't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. We can have that confidence. And yet, we know this. But what does, how do we learn to interact with and experience the enabling and the empowering in conscious ways? It's beautiful when we grow in our Christian life, giving ourselves to the word of God, seeking to please the Lord. We experience the Holy Spirit at work in us in ways that we don't even realize. How many times have you had a conversation with someone and you maybe get talking about the Lord and then you start saying things that you never really pondered on yourself? And then afterwards, you, you, thought to, you think to yourself, wow, where did that come from? And then you might even go and hear somebody else talk about it, a community group or something, and then you're just like, look at that. I didn't even realize that was in the Bible in that way. 
these unconscious encounters of the Holy Spirit. But there is a sense of consciousness that we are able to enjoy in our interaction with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Romans 8, 14, 16, last set of verses. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, as we've been going through Galatians, I, I highlighted this week, when, when the Bible talks about sons of God in a masculine sense, it is doing so intentionally. We don't need to make it gender neutral because there is a way in which it is incorporating male and female into that statement. We see that in Galatians 3.28. There's neither male nor female, Jew nor free, slave nor Greek. We're one in Christ. And there's a sense in which, whereas once upon a time, women were seen as second-class citizens, even amongst the Jews, from the time of Christ, it resulted in a social revolution where women were regarded as equal to men in the sight of God. Equal inheritors, just as men are. And so when it uses the term sons is speaking about the elevation of the, the woman's status to that as an, an equal inheritor. All who are led, male and female, by the Spirit of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery and if you've been tracking through Galatians, you see this constant back and forth between sonship and slavery. Slavery out of duty, sonship out of devotion. Oh, I've got to obey God. I've got to do what he says. I've got to do what's right. Even when we don't want to. But then the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he changes our wants. And he causes us to want the things that we never wanted before. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If we truly want to see newness in our life, we need to come into, if not already, in relationship and grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit. I believe there are many ways in which that has been abused in our time. And yet, as a result of that, some of us, myself included, have been guilty of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. When I think back to my experiences in church and things that went on that were merely outbursts of emotion and they weren't consistent with what we saw presented in the scriptures. And I'm like, you know what, if that's what is represented by the, 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 the moving of the Holy Spirit, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. We'll just keep it all calm and under control. 
And then we go to the other, ex other extreme where we become functional atheists and we believe in God and we believe in his spirit and we believe in his work among us. But then actually when it comes down to it, we're not responsive, we're not sensitive. We're not submissive. We're not being led in a complete sense. Now, you cannot have a healthy and fruitful relationship with God and particularly with the Spirit of God without first coming to Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in the first step of coming to God, the Holy Spirit brings about a fundamental and necessary change within the insides of an individual. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, don't, 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 don't think it's amazing. Don't marvel. Don't think it's strange that I said to you, you must be born again. In verse 3, he said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so you will experience the Holy Spirit in your life, but in ways that will only be pointing you towards and bringing you to a place where you will ultimately submit to Jesus. And you may be going through all kinds of efforts to find fulfillment, to find peace, to find satisfaction. And they will constantly come up short. And they will constantly leave you wanting. And there will be this nagging feeling. I know I am made for more than this. I know that, one of my favorite quotes, C.S. Lewis, when I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude I was made for more than this. There is a depth to the human heart, depth to the human experience that nothing in this world can satisfy apart from the presence of God's spirit connecting us in a real and living relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, <coughs> the Lord offers you the opportunity to receive the spirit of the Lord today in receiving Jesus. Jesus said to the disciples, I will go away. And I must go away in order that I might send to you the helper. The means by which Jesus was going away was death. He wasn't talking about taking a flight, going on holiday. He was talking about his death. And once you have embraced the reality that Jesus died for your sin... And he was raised from the dead after three days for your justification. Your whole world changes. Your whole life changes. 
you experience new experiences that you never knew you could experience. Because it is in that that you experience the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life, into your heart. The renewing work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible also uses the term regeneration. Renewing, being born again from the inside. Changing the very wants within us. And so that's the first step. And then there's the necessity for us to cultivate that relationship. So many of us as Christians, we struggle with sin. So many of us as Christians struggle with just a, a, a flatlined existence as believers. Because we are not cultivating a living, daily, healthy relationship with the Spirit of the Lord. And so, we reckon we're, we're bored. We start trying to find something somewhere else other than in Jesus. But the Lord says, listen, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a challenging statement. If you walk by the Spirit, it doesn't say you might not. Or you have an increased chance of. But you will not gratify the desires of the flesh of merely physical impulses that are in keeping with the ways of the world. And I say that a lot of the struggles that we go through and a lot of the struggles that we experience in our life as a church and a lot of the struggles that we endure in our lives where we find ourselves in a madness, we find ourselves in sin, we find ourselves behaving just ungodly and out of character. It's because we are negating the relationship with the spirit, which is experienced through faith. We've stopped believing that actually we can have that kind of relationship. We've stopped believing that we can be led by the Lord. We've stopped. May the Lord renew our faith and bring about newness. I'm going to invite the team to come back. Um, you guys sang the song earlier, but I, I would ask you if we, would, we could sing it again. Not going back. Huh. I heard a, um, a song by a brother called KB. Probably one of my favorite MCs. And um, he's got this sample in there. An old mother of Zion. Not today, Satan, not today. Sometimes we just have to say not today. We're not trying to hear, you kind of, you see the films and the angel on one side and the demon on the other. No, the spirit of the Lord is in us. And our flesh and the world and the devil are trying to speak against him. And we've got to say, not today, flesh, not today, Satan, not today, world. 
We're going to move forward with the Spirit. We're going to be led by the Spirit of God in ways that are pleasing to Jesus and beneficial for my life. Let's stand together. Father God, I pray that you would do a new work in us. I pray, Lord, that you'd bring about a newness in our walk with you. I pray that you'd bring about a newness in our lives. Because, Lord, we need it. I'm sure that there is not one person within the sound of my voice who doesn't want a different 2019. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the promise of your spirit. And I thank you, Lord, for the fulfillment of that promise. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us as your people to be filled with your spirit. Lord, I pray that even those who do not know you in here today would receive your spirit as they receive the Son and receive forgiveness and are born again and receive newness of life. Lord, this is a new year. May it be a, a new year of new settings that we would not continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. That, Lord, we would be lifted outside of ourselves and beyond our own weakness, beyond the gratifying of our own physical, carnal impulses. Our own notions of right and wrong, our own ideologies and perspectives, that we would lay all those things down before you and follow your spirit who is totally and consistently in keeping with Jesus. Teach us, Lord. Teach us what that means. Teach us what that looks like, Lord, I pray. Have your way among us, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.